So yeah, so we're going to dive right in. Um, so just to start off, just a couple of caveats and um, things we should know as we get started. Uh, that as we're talking about uh, these issues, and again, what we're kind of our role here as therapists, uh, this is come from the perspective of two white therapists. Um, and it's and so anything clinical that we're talking about in here, you know, that's going to be through that lens. Um, that said, I think, and for, again, people who are listening, um, my sense is that there's probably going to be a variety um, of understandings and knowledge and education around racism and how this does play out in our society, um, how we each engage in that. And um, so I just to point out with that, that we are coming from an anti-racism perspective. And we also make the assumption that um, as people who are white, as well as white providers, that we not only engage in racism ourselves, but we're part of that system. We're part of systemic racism um, as providers and people within the medical system. Um, so that, you know, has an impact with clients that we're working with and obviously with people within with our own lives. Um, so I just want to point that out. Um, we won't, won't spend a lot of this podcast going over, you know, basic terminology or, or those, some of those some of those concepts. Um, I highly encourage you to do the, to do your own research and education. Um, we're going to provide some resources today um, uh, as well. But um, yeah, so definitely we're making the assumption that you're coming into this podcast with some of the understanding as well. Um, anything you want to add to that, Emma? Anything you want to add, Carlos? Um, no. I- I think that was perfectly stated. Yeah, same. Okay. All right. Well, just to get started, so I think uh, I'll have us kind of kick off with just, we'll start with our responsibilities as therapists and we'll talk a bit about this. And then I would like us to talk about, um, kind of maybe have that lead into kind of, um, some of our personal, not just reactions, but things that we're uh, trying to do in terms of being better allies. Um, I think starting with our responsibilities as therapists would probably be most helpful first. And again, I just want to kind of put the caveat out there that, um, I mean, this goes for any therapist and any providers who are working with clients, but probably what we're talking about, it will be more geared towards white therapists and how they can be better allies. Um, uh, yeah. So just to start with that, um, and actually I'm going to, um, put the spotlight on you Emma for a moment um, so when we talk about the responsibilities and actually you and I talked about this recently um, when we're working with clients and especially our, our uh, black and brown clients and uh, what they're navigating in terms of racism and white supremacy uh, with ongoing protests what is our responsibility uh, to those clients as well as then to our white clients who are again maybe they're looking to be better allies maybe they're completely just not at all informed or educated around what is happening and, you know, they're entrenched in their own issues around this. Um, you know, what are our responsibilities depending on, I think, uh, depending on the context. Uh, so that's a lot. I'm just like, I'm throwing a lot out there right now. So feel free to start, you know, Emma, if you have any additional thoughts and we'll, we'll kind of just go from there. Okay. Yeah. Well, actually our responsibilities to our clients is to create safety. Um, and that will be kind of different for our black and brown clientele because we are a part of a systemically racist kind of structure, even mental health, um, which needs to be acknowledged. We do need to kind of highlight that awareness, um, not necessarily in session, but like we do need to be aware that we are part of a racist system. So I already want to clarify well, I just said, when I say, you know, ask your clients, I do not mean, and I want to be explicitly clear here, I do not mean asking your client to, like, tell you how to create a safe space for them. Right. Um, because that is putting, again, the responsibility of a black or brown person educating a white person. Right. Um, yep. 
there's enough of that pressure. They don't need that in their therapy room. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I just, just to add to that real quick, I, I fully agree mm-hmm. that it's, and I think this is often what white providers, again, speaking from the, from the lens of another white provider, my sense is that this is what a lot of white providers struggle with is, um, figuring out how to provide a genuine safe space. And again, it's like, we're providing that while we're a part of that system. It, I mean, can that be done? My sense is it, it certainly depends on the context, but I think it can. But um, yeah, it's 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 very layered. So I think just kind of coming at it in that way, I think you're absolutely right. We, we would come across as fake, and um, it's also again, I think any any point where and I think it's very easy for us to do this. Any point where we are putting that on the client, um, like we've automatically kind of steered off track, you know. And I think in both those examples you gave, I feel like that's kind of what's happening, right? You're putting right. that on the client. Um, right. Um, you know, so that's, yeah, absolutely. Um, you were going to say more and add more. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, 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 you're fine. Um, so, you know, how can we create a space without, I don't want to say without being obvious, because I think it should be able to be interpreted that we are allies, that we are creating the safe space, but without being so like, blatantly forcing it in your face. Mm. Um, so, even just starting off with acknowledging the climate right now. Mm, like, yeah. as simple as like, hey, there is a lot going on right now. What are you feeling? What is it like for you to be working with me as a white therapist? Mm. Uh, and kind of like allow genuineness, which I, you know, hopefully that is something that as therapists we're bringing to any room, but the reality is what therapists aren't mm. for their black and brown clients. And, mm. and that can feel kind of like a blow, I imagine, especially if the therapist hasn't been doing some of this anti-racist work that we're, we're going to be spending our podcast talking about. Mm. Um, yeah. As white people, we generally feel threatened by kind of having it highlighted for us the ways that we are engaging in racist behaviors or even like the way we're microaggressions, the way we're treating our clientele differently. Uh, so I, there's a, there's a real responsibility on the therapist to, to be open, just mm. learn to allow yourself to feel really gross. Mm. That is a part of the work. So if you're feeling gross, you're doing good. Don't stop. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good way of putting it. It's if you're feeling, if you're fairly consistently or consistently feeling comfortable while you're doing the work, it's yeah, you're probably not doing it right. You're probably not. Yeah. 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 And and, 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 and specifically for white therapists, like that's, yeah. Because I think that that sort of, that those feelings that come up, you know, when it does become highlighted, whether it's while you're working with a client or in your own work, that yeah, you are part of the system and here are the ways in which you have perpetuated that. Here are the ways that you're currently, (laughs) put it up by my words, currently (laughs) perpetuating that. Um, That that shouldn't feel good. And that means that you are looking at that, which is good. Um, But yeah, I fully agree with that. this is what we're talking about this. Do you have any thoughts to add, Carlos? Um, not really. Okay. Yeah. I know you're not coming from the therapist perspective yeah. per se, but a lot more. of like what therapists should uh, do and say. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> nothing to say about that. Okay. All right. Um yeah, so no, I, I fully agree with that. Emma. So I like kind of, you know, again, as we're talking about that, it's like 
this is not something that should go unsaid, right? It's not something that should be ignored. It's not something that should be, you know, oh, well, if it just doesn't come up, it doesn't come up. That's another thing I've heard some therapists say too. It's like, well, um, and they'll be talking about this in a variety of con, in a variety of contexts, including with the black and brown clients, um, you know, specifically white therapists saying, well, yeah, if the client doesn't bring it up, then I'm not going to. And it's like, there's many reasons why I think that really misses the mark. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, and I think it perpetuates white silence. And I think it's, mm-hmm. and again, it's comfortable, right? It's like, oh, well, and my my guess or sense with that is that if you are working with a client of color and this is not coming up and you're not processing, you know, this with them or, you, or at the very least, again, you're not, you know, touching on that and, make, and having that invitation there. Um, there are probably layers here and you're just not looking at it and the client's not looking at it with you. Um, mm-hmm. and, and maybe that's because the client doesn't trust you. Right. The and client that, doesn't feel safe to bring it up with you. Right. Right. And in that context, the client's pretty spot on with that right it's like that's that's exactly why they're not so um yeah absolutely a question was posed and i I wanted to bring this up in the show and i'm curious what your thoughts are emma and i have some thoughts too um a a provider um mentioned and i forgot exactly the wording to it but basically um had made a point of well as a white provider are you comfortable that there are some black and brown clients that will not work with you that do not feel comfortable with you and will not work with you um and of course there were other providers in this particular context. I had various thoughts on that, but um, yeah. So I just want to throw that out there. I think that kind of speaks to some of this and what's, what's your reaction to that? I'm a little... So my initial reaction is like, so there's, I'm having two opposite reactions for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's an initial reaction of, yes, I'm comfortable with that because why do I get to dictate who's comfortable working with me. Mm. But then the immediate secondary reaction is, no, I'm not comfortable with that because that highlights potentially how deep systemic racism is. Mm. Uh, Because a lot of the time, these clients are bringing their previous experiences into it. Mm. Right? It's like, it's more than likely, I can't necessarily 100% guarantee, guarantee, but plenty of black and brown clients have already had really shitty experiences with a previous white therapist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And as humans, we try to keep ourselves safe. Yeah. And it is absolutely awful that people are put in that position, right? Like, oh, I have to not work with a white therapist because I haven't been safe with enough white white therapists. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's that piece of, yes, I'm I absolutely would understand if a client showed up in my teletherapy office, I guess, mm-hmm. um, and said, oh, you know, I would rather work with a person of color. Mm, yeah. I'm not going to tell that person, well, no, you should really try because I promise I'm going to rebuild trust with you and white people. Like, no, no. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I will find a referral for you. And that's kind of like as far as I can go. So I know that was like kind of a convoluted answer, but does that make sense? No, I think it does. I mean, and some of my reaction to that, I mean, because again, I think this is where the idea, uh, and again, for for white therapists in general, and I'm including myself in this because mm-hmm. I, you know, as we're talking about this, again, I like to think that I'm, I'm doing my own work here at the same time, my own uh, very egotistical, very white, very, um, you know, based on white supremacy kind of reaction surface in this. Well, yeah, there's that part of me that's like, well, you know, uh, this person's not giving this 
quota chance, right? Which is completely yeah. like missing the mark. That's not what's happening there. <laughs> but that that ego part of me, and again, that part that is that's been conditioned, and that is part of white supremacy. That is the reaction. Um, mm-hmm. That said, no, the reality is, I think, it, it, and and again, from my standpoint and my understanding is, I think, very similar to yours, Emma. That uh, no, there's a bigger system here, and I am part of that system. I represent that system. I benefit from that system. I get paid by that system. Um, and yes, while I may be doing my own work, that's on me. And that's something that, you know, as a provider in person, I just should be doing anyway. Um, and that's for the client, that's not for them to carry. And I think the yeah. moment that, you know, it becomes this, oh, but, you know, w- why wouldn't they work? You know, the moment we start going into that, it's becoming about us, right? We're no longer focusing on that client or what their needs are. Um, and understandably, like you said, there's many, many, many reasons why that. And again, we're talking about a particular instance where, you know, that is the reason, right? That that this client is not comfortable with you as a white therapist. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, yes. <laughs> and, and, and I think in that, you're absolutely right that ethically speaking, I mean, what I would want to do is, um, if it would be helpful to that client to provide referrals and to connect them uh, with other oh. providers, um, who, yeah, who are, are, who are, uh, also of color, uh, and who mm-hmm. can, can share some of those experiences. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I like that you're kind of highlighting how we have to decenter ourselves, mm-hmm. um, as, white providers because mm. uh, shockingly it's not all about us what but we forget no. that no no <laughs> Emma I know stunning yeah stunning I know <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and we can, I mean even finding the humor in it it's so frequent once you start kind of recognizing how often white people center themselves in mm. even conversations about race it's astonishing how much we do that mm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. we absolutely do when i think and um yeah and i think part of that it, i mean i think it's related to a number of different things but part of that going back to white supremacy right it's like yeah. you live in a society where that's what the society is built upon so you know as white providers in that model we are supposed to be the center of attention and yeah. as white people we're supposed to be the center of uh, attention in that so yeah so the kind of to remind ourselves of that and to try to shift out of that is i mean it, it's hard in that context it needs to be done and that's on yeah. us um but that is definitely like yeah i think you're absolutely spot on with it that that's exactly what that is um yeah yeah and I think that that tendency within white people can kind of show why we might not be the most comfortable to work with our clients of color, right? right? Like, yeah. because imagine sitting in a therapy room and the client is trying to, you know, grapple with working with their white therapist and the white therapist is sitting there centering on themselves. like. Mm. A therapy session isn't the place for a therapist to be centering in on themselves. Like the focus does have to be on the client. Yeah. Um, so even our kind of like tendency of centering in on the experiences of white people is so counterintuitive to therapy mm. for a person. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, and, and it's something where, yeah, I think that that's exactly right. It ties right back into why someone would certainly, I mean, yeah, that would be, um, how should I put it? It would, it would take up the space in the room and it does take up the space in the room when that's happening. Um, 
Well, and, and just adding to that too, another thought I have, um, and something I've had to navigate in a, in a few instances, and I think it's, it's also come up again in conversations with providers and um, just in my own work, uh, the concept of white tears. And as therapists, when we're um, responding to or engaging with a client, and again, in, in particular, a client who is a color and describing an experience related to racism or really I mean, to anything, but all, especially to racism, um, as providers, how we empathize and how we respond to that in that moment. Um, and this is something that I have actually both white clients and other white providers alike really struggle with. And again, I struggle with it myself, um, where it's like, if you show certain reactions, even if it's genuine, quote unquote, to what is coming up for you in that moment, you can very much be doing harm and putting further burden on your clients. Um, And you're nodding your head a lot, Emma. So I, I mean, I can explain that further and talk about that more. What, what comes up for you? What are your thoughts on that? I, honestly, it's some of my own like personal reactions to to white tears. Um, it just takes up. I like how you said it earlier about like taking up the space. Mm. It takes up so much space that doesn't belong to us. Like. Right. We got to back off, but right. please continue, continue explaining it because you're doing fantastic. <laughs> That's right. So I think what, what can happen, for example, um, you know, is, is you have a provider who, um, and again, I've done this, who will have a reaction and whether or not you're, you know, and we talk about white tears, whether or not you're like full blown crying and, you know, or even just like, you know, eyes are watering, you're, you're clearly being impacted by the story or this thing that's happened. Um, I think on the one hand, providers learn in a certain con- certain context i believe this is true learn that that can be a really powerful and important thing for the client right it's like okay this is something that you know my, my provider's hearing this and is like also being impacted and that reaffirms for me that this really was like what i thought it was and that it was but the problem when we're talking with a client with a with a and, and uh, specifically a uh, black or brown client is uh we are like you said taking up space and there's also a lot of history there and i think a lot of really um dangerous toxic dysfunctional history where there have been repercussions and consequences based on that dynamic you know this this black person or or, uh, this brown person sharing a story talking about something and then this white person having a reaction to that and um yes it's just there's just a lot there so i think that can be definitely harmful um and again just just to share i mean this is something that i really came it came to my attention very very recently i um i don't know what my reactions necessarily were previously just because i can't think of a particular example where you know i felt like i was engaging in white tears but i know that i have i know that i have engaged in that reaction and probably at the time i thought i probably was you know that that was a good thing or that i was and i think it also depends on the context and the client so i don't want to speak for every client by any means um but i think for the most part it's something that as as therapists and as white therapists we gotta be really mindful of uh, Absolutely. If that if that makes sense, or yeah, that makes uh, makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And we're back. Uh, so yeah, so Emma and I were just talking, and, and Emma, actually, I'll let you kick us off. Sure. So. Um, As we're kind of going through this podcast, Tim and I want to be absolutely certain that we are giving credit to the authors and creators that we've been relying on for our own anti-racist work that we've been doing. Um, So something that personally I've been finding so powerful has been um, a book, Me and White Supremacy. Uh, The author is Layla Saad, and um, 
I would actually really recommend that any of y'all listening give her a follow on Instagram. Um, her Instagram handle is at Layla F. Saad, L-A-Y-L-A-F-S-A-A-D. Um, and she has fantastically uncomfortable posts for white people. Um, so highly, highly recommend her book and her Instagram. And her website will also be um, cited down below. Nice. Yep. Absolutely. No, she, she does that. The workbook is, is, is really good. And, um, yeah, her Instagram, I've, I've been following it for a while and it's, yeah, like you said, there's a lot of posts that um, are really uncomfortable and, you know, times you want to comment and it's like, Oh, wait a minute. Like that's exactly what is happening there. Um, and and just to go off of that, um, real quick is something that, um, she brought up in her Instagram and actually she's brought up many, many times, but more recently on her Instagram within the last few weeks, I think, um, that there is, and actually we had it as a practice, but we have since deleted it and we've been buying Buying her book, um, that she uh, is noting that there is a f- um, quote free, but it's no longer current, and she does not want people using it. Um, uh, an old version of the workbook that floats around, and a lot of I would say I think providers have this because um, that's you know we we as uh, providers did. Um, and uh, she made, made it very clear that not only is it outdated, but you you are stealing her work um, if you're if you're if you're still using that. And that's the case in general. I mean, if you're using something that someone is selling and you're using a free copy of that thing, um, that's not yours. So, well, to clarify, she did say if you already had like individually downloaded the free one, that right. is yours. But if you're kind of like distributing it through a practice or something like that, yes. now you're stealing her work. Yes. Um, so, sorry. No, totally. No, that's a, that's a really good clarification. I was not making that clear. Um, absolutely. Yeah. So that said, if, if this is the first time you're hearing about this, um, I would definitely recommend checking her out as well. But yeah, definitely make sure that you're purchasing um, either the Kindle or, or a hardcover of her book. Um, uh, yeah. So no, so I appreciate that, Emma. And actually, just to cite, um, there's a few different um, sources I think that we'll cite probably as we continue in this podcast. Uh, another, so that, uh, a lot of what I've learned is also from, from that same author. Um, another material that I've uh, actually just finished this book, uh, it's uh, White Fragility, and it's by uh, Robin D'Angelo. Um, and again, I thought it was, again, very uncomfortable in some ways, but as a provider especially, I really appreciated it because it, it really, it does a good job highlighting the different ways that we as white people in general and white providers can engage in white fragility. And there are many, many ways that we do that, and it intertwines very much with systemic racism and with what our clients of color and our friends and family of color are navigating. So, um, yeah, highly recommend that as well. When you say things are uncomfortable, what do you mean? So that's a good question. That is a good good question. So for me, it's uncomfortable. Um, well, a couple, I, well, yeah, a couple of things for me, it's uncomfortable physically, right? So I, I, I have a physical reaction, definitely anxiety, that sort of fight or flight. Um, and I think what's coming up in that moment is a few things, but primarily I think it centers on my own, not just my own ego, but how people perceive me, right? So there is a deep seated fear when there's many reasons for this, which we can talk a little bit about, um, and reasons I've identified for myself, but a deep-seated fear of being perceived as racist, as not being, quote, a good white person. Um, There's many issues with even that train of thought, but that is very ingrained for me. So um, that is something that, and that's definitely a theme and something that comes up when we talk about feeling uncomfortable, that's often what part of that is for me, Um, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think there's also... At least so far for me, there's also that influence of guilt, of uh, like 
wow, I can't believe I thought I was educated on this previously. Because mm. uh, I think, even when I think back to grad school, you know, we have our one multiculturalism class, which is great. That's good that it exists. Um, and to be fair, there was a ton that I learned in that class. Uh, but I, I don't, there was kind of a disconnect where they, you'll be taught like, hey, be culturally competent. And you know the definition of it. So when you have to write it down on one of your exams or in your paper, you got it down. Yeah. Uh, but there isn't necessarily uh, such a huge push for continuing ed on it mm-hmm. um, or for like keeping it always in the forefront of the work that you're doing. Um, it can often, at least in my experience with grad school, it can almost be like thrown in as an afterthought at times. Um, and I think that's systemically. Yeah. So I don't, I don't say that to my personal program um, Mm. because I know like Tim and I both shared in the past, we went through a great program, Um, but it's just lacking systemically to really hone in on just how important it is to be aware of just the multicultural issues that are always going to be impacting our work. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's a good, that's a really good point. And I, I, I would agree. I mean, I think I know in our, in our program, I mean, the, the class I had that talked about racism and I mean, it was really, it was eye opening then, which that's really reflective of my, of my privilege. I am in grad school and learning some of these oh concepts gosh, for the yeah. first time. Like that's like, that's definitely what that is. But, um, that said, yeah, I, I would agree with you that I think, and for a lot of programs, not even just where we went, but that, that that's lacking, right? It's not mm-hmm. incorporated. You get what you get that one class and then we check it off the list and um which again in of itself is part of that white supremacy culture and system Mm -hmm. for sure um yeah yeah just going back um this time from a question that you asked me carlos did Mm -hmm. you have further thoughts or further questions no i just was wondering okay yeah yeah and back to the original question too do you have any additional thoughts emma anything that comes up for you we talk about feeling uncomfortable i want to second the physical reaction Mm -hmm. because i'll notice like almost like a knot in my stomach or just like a, a mm. kind of uneat, like squirmy almost. Um, so I, I think it's, it's a really multifaceted reaction. So it's, it's physical, it's mental, there's emotions involved in it. Like it's, it's the whole experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Cause I, I, I what comes up for me, uh, that's curious is is it because it sometimes when you're reading about stuff like this is it eye-opening for you to uh kind of hear it and see it and then be like oh wait like i've done that or Mm. you know something like that and then that's what's making you uncomfortable is because you're realizing you're not outside of that bubble you're you're a part of it yeah for me yes yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it's the discomfort of reading about myself yeah yeah it's a really good way of putting it exactly Mm -hmm. yeah it's like you're you're kind of looking in a mirror and it's like Mm -hmm. oh there are a lot of things here that are um not good in that yeah you know yeah exactly absolutely and it can very much like kind of go against um at least for me like my sense of self because I think for a long time I was priding myself on just how culturally competent I was and you know just how I don't want to say how great of a therapist was because I mean imposter syndrome is strong but um, you know like I was working on having some pride in myself as a therapist so there's also that piece of like 
kind of as a person, honestly. Like, wow, I am not as accepting as I always thought I was, or I am not as um, calm and collected, whatever, whatever the, the feeling may be. But it, it's, it's definitely like a huge shift in how you view yourself or has the potential to be, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of that has to do with, uh, for me anyway, is society. Because I, I truly think, believe that the think. <laughs> I was going to say the think, literally. Okay, anyway. I, I mean, you can say the think. The think, yeah. Why not? I think that, no. Um, I truly believe that racism is not genetic. It is taught. And I fully believe it's like our society teaching our children the wrong things and that's where we get this situation where you you are you know competent in that however you were taught this at a young age and it's kind of hard to just like get rid of that it's, it's just a part of you yes. unfortunately so mm-hmm. it's our job as adults to teach our children better mm. mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. That, yeah, yeah. That makes yeah. a ton of sense and yeah i think you're right it's it's so it's so ingrained so early on and in ways that are very indirect and in ways that are very direct um and then we are brought up with that. And even as adults, I mean, even as we're doing this work, we are still, we're still benefiting, right? From yeah. our society, from the structures that are at play. Um, and I think people, you know, like I say, people, white people really struggle with this too. And when we talk about, you know, we're talking about privilege or we're talking about that white supremacy piece where it's like, you know, well, you know, I've been through X, Y, and Z, or I've been through, you know, the, the issue here is not about whether you've been through you know, hardship or whether you've been through that can look like many different things. And you, you know, that's, yeah, but you have not faced hardship because of the color of your skin. Like that's the, right. you know, that's, and I think that's, that's going around a lot on social media too. Like there's a, a really good kind of, um, and I'm actually, I'm not sure who it's by, it's just being shared. Um, mm-hmm. but that basically describes that. And I think that's a really like, that really hammers home. Um, yeah. and so that being said, it's like, yeah, we're, you know, we're doing this work, but we're still in the society. We're benefiting, even when we're going through our own hardships and we're going through, we are still benefiting from those layers and we are still, you know, um, and that's another, not to get lost on this, but just to add to that, something that, um, has come up in again, a few conversations I've, I've been having of, um, we talk about privilege and what that looks like. Cause I think another thing that happens and actually I, I will speak to this cause I can, I, I, Campbell personally, as well as from within the gay community, um, not this does not speak for the whole gay community, but um, I know of other gay men, other white gay men, as well as I have at points believed this and thought this came at this lens. Well, you know, uh, if you're gay or within the LGBTQ community, you also, you know, face hurdles and struggles. So therefore, you know, I, you know, it's the same thing, you know, therefore I know what it's like to be black and, or I know what, you know, what it's like to navigate the society as a black person or as a, as a, as a, uh, uh, brown person, uh, that is not remotely true. Um, because the issue here is that these are different layers, right? And it's like, you know, depending on how you're perceived, because a lot of this has to do with how you're perceived too, right? That's, I think what fits in with what you're saying, Carlos, that yeah, this is learned, right? These are learned behaviors that, I mean, you know, um, it's actually, and I'm going to, I'll credit this in a moment. There's a book that I'm reading that actually is getting at this, that even like, even before we're born, right? We are mm-hmm. taking this in. Um, it's actually, so the book I'm reading, um, not to segue too much, is uh, My Grandmother's Hands. And it's by uh, Resma uh, Minicum. And he, again, I'm, and I'm just getting into his work. So, but as uh, I'm doing so, he's talking more about not just how, I mean, lifelong this trauma is and, and uh, what we're learning, again, within 
the systemic racism, but uh, that this goes back to even before we're born and even when we're in the womb, that we are absorbing and taking this in. Um, and I think that really speaks to just how not just ingrained, but how, um, you know, yeah, this isn't something where it's like, oh, well, I challenged the beliefs and I, you know, took me six months and I'm no longer racist and that's that. And it's like, no, like this is like, again, it's not genetic, but it's, you know, that's how deeply, you know, we learn it. Um, we learn it through, again, our parents' reactions, caregivers, you know, responses and reactions to things. Um, again, microaggressions and, and up. Um, so, um, but yeah, so I'm and actually just getting into his, but he, he focuses more on trauma and looking at this through a trauma lens of, um, and, and again, kind of what both white people as well as uh, black people, uh, brown people, and also law enforcement, um, and how there's various different types of trauma, um, depending on what your experiences are and depending on how you're perceived. Um, so anyway, so I'll, I'll update how that's, yeah, so I'll update how that's going as, and as I, as I continue to read his book, um, which yeah, so far has been, has been really good. Um, but my point in all that, just to bring us back, um, is that, yeah, it definitely is, it's that ingrained. And I think, um, that's why it is lifelong. I mean, this is something where it's like, you know, it's lifelong. And I, and that's actually another thing I fear too. Um, and I'll stop talking is that, you know, we're in this moment right now. And even as providers, we're doing a lot of good work. And I'll be one to say that, um, you know, the bulk of my work has really started over the last several weeks. And, um, that's a whole other issue, right? It's a whole, a whole other set of privileges and issues and, and again, white, white supremacy and that. Um, but I do fear that this is going to be a fad and then it's going to die. And we're back. Um, so yeah, so just going off, I just, you know, I think I shared a lot just there. So I'm going <laughs> to back up a little bit. Um, Carlos, Emma, what are your, what are your thoughts? I completely, I'm sorry, go no, ahead. I was going to let you. Okay. <laughs> um, I completely agree with you on that concern that white people will get distracted or kind of fall back into their super privileged sense of comfort of like, oh, okay, we all rallied for a couple of weeks. We have fixed it, which we won't have not have done that. Uh, and I, I think that white privilege of like staying comfortable and everything, I, I've even started to already see it on social media. Um, and I don't know if this is just some of the people that I follow slash am friends with, uh, but I've seen an increase just in the last week or so of those posts like, you know, being on this Instagram or Facebook account is really impacting my mental health. And, you know, it's a lot these days to be engaged in social media. So, you know, for my own mental health, I'm going to be taking a break for a few days. And every time I see one of those posts, the first thought is like, oh, how white of you. Like, <laughs> like just such a nice. privilege. Yeah, right? Like, I can just turn this off for a little while for my mental health. And I, I don't mean to be disparaging towards mental health. I'm, I'm a mental health counselor. I'm, I'm all about this. But there is that gigantic piece of privilege. Mm-hmm. 
and it can kind of worry me sometimes like mm. Yeah. Oh, oh, we're exhausted by this after a week, mm-hmm. two weeks of no, like truly noticing it. Um, so yes, Tim, that was a very long-winded way of saying I completely agree with your concern that it's going to kind of, again, in quotes, like fade away for white people, white providers. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, and I think in some ways, I mean, at the very least, right, I think like, again, and I hope that I'm off base on this, I think best case scenario, um, there will be some that won't, right? It's like, yes. that, that we know, we will see that. And I think like you're saying too, I, I mean, I've been seeing that as well, providers, um, and again, white people uh, having that reaction saying, well, I need to, and it's like, you know, and, and I agree with you, right? I agree with, with what you're saying. I'm, I do not want to be dispersing in terms of taking self-care and, and all those sure. things like that's absolutely. But when we talk about that, it's, you know, I think we have to be very mindful that every time, I mean, engaging in this work period, we're doing it in a privileged way. Like we just, we just are, we're doing it when it works on, you know, time-wise we're doing it, you know, we're doing it now because it's, it's being highlighted even more so, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe some of us were doing it before, but I think for a lot of us, we're doing it now. And it's like, there's so many layers here where we are picking and choosing how we're doing this work. Um, yep. You know, um, this is the first time that as a podcast, we're making this our main focus, right? It's yeah. like, and we're, we're doing it now. Um, you know, that's part of that. So, um, yeah, absolutely. So my hope is that it does continue on um, for, again, for at least some, um, again, the more the better, but at the same time, it unfortunately would not surprise me if for um, at least some white providers, yeah, exactly like what you said, it's going to, you know, we'll be focused on this thing and now we're going to move on to the next and get comfortable again and not have to feel uncomfortable anymore. And that's, yeah, I think that's, yeah. yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I kind of want to circle back a little bit to even the question that you had put out at the beginning of this podcast, because, um, you know, there was kind of the question about how do you deal with this in session? Mm-hmm. Um, and we focus more on, like, how do we navigate sessions with our black and brown clients? But what about how we navigate our sessions with our white clients? Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Yep. There, it's, that's very simplified no i was just like waiting for you guys to like get into it <laughs> oh, okay. i was like no is this bad I'm no no saying no. bad things no you're good um yeah so what are your thoughts about like addressing this in session with your white client yeah so uh and i'm laughing just because this has been coming up um And we're back. Uh, so yeah, so just in response to Emma, uh, where we had left, you had posed this, I think, really good question of, as white providers, when we're working with white clients who are struggling, um, and probably in a variety of ways, but that are struggling with, uh, that's just the ongoing protest, but just for these concepts in general and their roles in it. And um, so, I mean, I think of a few different things. I feel like with, with clients I'm working with, I'm running into, and again, I don't want to simplify it. It's not just in these two different camps, but I, I am having sort of two different sets of issues where I have clients who seem to present presents with a basic understanding. And again, when I say clients, I'm saying uh, white clients presenting with a general understanding and are looking to advocate. They're looking to, to do more of the work. They're, uh, you know, looking at ways that they can basically be 
uh, be a a uh, a uh, better ally in their um, yeah, just trying to figure that out, and that that becomes sort of the focus of like okay, well, so for example, like you know, I would like to be able to protest. I maybe am not able to because of these things. Um, clients acknowledging that that's part of their privilege and then talking about what that means and then talking about well, what are ways that you can and what does that look like and so there's that and then there are clients that are that will um talk about something that has happened either something that they directly engaged in or something that they witnessed or something they were silent to and they are going off on a narrative that is um very much missing the mark uh in terms of racism and in terms of their role in it and what was happening in whatever that that event or thing was and uh, they're looking to you for validation about how, you know, and especially where they feel as though, um, and, and again, these are these are things coming up for them that they are feeling as though they are um, somehow uh, the sort of target of that, or they are, you know, um, and they're, you know, maybe very upset about that, or there's, you know, they're sad, frustrated, angry, you know, whatever, you know, whatever sets of things are coming up. And they're looking to you for that validation to, to validate that, that they're feeling this way. And, you know, to the extent that I've done the work or, or that maybe you have Emma that, you know, we're sitting there, um, and, and kind of going, Oh, actually you were very much part of that. And then how yeah. do you address that? How do you navigate that again in the context of social justice and our role as white allies with power and privilege? It absolutely is on us to go there. And I think, and honestly, just to kind of start off and we can dive into this a little bit, um, as a provider, as a therapist, I actually do think it, it's there too. Um, I'm a big believer in letting the client lead session. I'm a big believer in the client, you know, taking the lead in that in terms of what we're focusing on and what the goals are. And so I'm not one to try to impose things on clients. But the problem with this is that if, if I look at it as I can kind of speak for myself, if I look at it from that lens, again, I am then suggesting and saying that racism, institutional racism, the role that my client's playing in it, the role that I play in it, that this is just something that's optional when really this is actually infiltrating everything on my client's life. Um, and if they're benefiting from this system and they're perceived as white, uh, it's a huge, it's playing a huge role for them. And it has been, I mean, that's not new. Um, but now we're, we're, we're being drawn to look at that. So really, am I doing my client a disservice if I don't go there, even if they're not? And it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, uh, you know, we ask, you know, certain questions about certain things, even if the client doesn't bring it to us because we know that it's important to at least touch on that and start exploring that. I think this is one of those things um, you know and it's like it's not this simple thing of you know oh well, i'll just leave it up to the client um we talked about earlier i mean a client of color uh you know working with a white therapist yeah i mean that's again there's a lot of issues with that and there's a lot of reasons why that client wouldn't and understandably um you know a white client i mean there's going to be i think a lot of white fragility and and you know feeling comfortable and not wanting to rock that boat um and essentially a white provider not touching on it is that white collaboration that, that's sort of yes. happening in that right that there's very much a sort of collaborative effort to not look at this issue um and that hurts both the client it hurts the provider and certainly hurts communities of color um so uh, again i'm going to stop talking that was a bit long-winded um what are you what are your thoughts both uh emma and carlos okay yeah, yeah. Yeah, emma. okay um so something i've heard i'm involved with the like communities of counselors and things like that. Um, and there was, I had seen a similar question posed and I saw a lot of counselors kind of falling back to the ACA code of ethics mm. about not 
um, instilling the therapist's values onto their clients, mm-hmm. um, which I can say, honestly, like I remember earlier on in my career, I had asked a supervisor a question about like, what do I do if a white client is like demonstrating some racist views? Like I, cause it, it was that straddling the line of at the time I thought not instilling my values mm-hmm. versus like client determination. Um, but something that I've been kind of grappling with more recently is if I'm going to fall back on the ACA code of ethics, um, that is systemic and is likely perpetuating white privilege. Mm -hmm. Right. Like we've already established this. So if I want to stay nice and comfortable, I can say, Oh, like ethically I can't sell my values. Um, I'm kind of taking a stance now that that's coming from a racist standpoint. Like, Mm-hmm. You know, I want to hold the ethics code up there, but I can't because we've already established the influence of systemic racism. Yep. Um, yep. So it kind of feels like a cop out at this point for me to shield myself and say, oh, the ethics guidelines say I can't steal my values. Uh, there are plenty of ethical guidelines that I will absolutely still be adhered to. I'm not saying, you know, burn the ethics code, but, um, you know, kind of keeping that in its full context for me has been super duper helpful. Yep. Um, because I think I, I completely agree with everything you're saying. It has to be brought up by us as counselors. Yeah. Um, I think that you know there is that piece of meeting your client where they're at. Mm. Um, so you do have to be able to like manage your own emotional reactions and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, stay pretty like in control. So it, it's not turning into a war with your client, holding some of these racist views. Um, But kind of, I saw a great resource and it was just something that people were sharing around Facebook and I want to find it again um, because I already regret not saving it. But it was a great list of like beginner level works to even just identify white privilege. Um, I was reading a... Well, I wasn't necessarily reading the paper, but I was using an invisible knapsack, which is from Peggy McIntosh from her paper that she actually wrote in 1988. Um, and it is titled white privilege and male privilege, a personal account of coming to see correspondences through work in women's studies. Um, but the invisible knapsack is a fantastic resource, particularly for those clients that may not quite be willing to look at their complicity in in racism um, or may not even necessarily be believers in white privilege because there are such uh, you know there are larger broader examples but the one that has always stood out to me from the first time I saw this in like grad school was that you know if I cut myself and I'm looking for a band-aid I can find a band-aid that is my skin tone um, Mm. or close to my skin tone and I remember reading that question kind of having this moment of like oh my god Mm. all of my band-aids are nude flesh colored Mm. but it's all the same tone Uh, so the invisible knapsack is a fantastic resource to just like bring awareness out for clients uh, for white clients I'm sorry Mm. and in general just kind of like scaffolding essentially Mm. Uh, you know I wouldn't I'm loving me and white supremacy I think it's a phenomenal resource. I'm also not going to recommend it to a client who is currently struggling with whether or not they have white privilege Mm. because they just aren't necessarily in the space to engage in some really deep, uncomfortable work. They kind of have to like reach that threshold in a sense. Um, So there's definitely the concept. I mean, there's always this concept, but 
even more so when um, you have to meet your client where they're at in regards to their white privilege or their racism or white supremacy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You took a note, Carlos. Did you want to ask something or no? Oh, no, I'm just noting um, resources and things I can add to that. Okay, cool. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah no, absolutely, Emma. And I think um, definitely it's, it's like, and I think that's when we talk about being a client where they're at. And I guess I, I like how you describe that with that, that, that um, uh, uh, scaffolding and, uh-huh. and how we do that with clients. Because, yeah, I think that's where, and going back to the APA ethics too, it's like, that notion of not wanting to impose your own values or your own. I think if we are coming into a session and talking at a client and just like, you know, that is, I mean, and I think that's what even the ethics hopefully are more geared towards. But side note, I did appreciate you bringing that up because right. Who wrote the APA ethics and right. what system is that a part of? Right. So absolutely. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, that, you know, that's imposing again, this it's like, and again, um, yeah, I'm trying to think of like other examples, but you know, one that just keeps coming to mind and that's probably very obvious for most therapists is you would always ask about suicide, right? You would always ask about suicidal thoughts or thoughts around self-harm. And there's many reasons why we do that. Again, we talk about trauma, we talk about the impact of the system on, you know, on clients of color specifically and and how that is unique to, to them, as well as for white clients and how they're perpetuating that and their role in that and the trauma that comes with those pieces. Um, we're really doing them a disservice by not even looking at it. So yeah, I think I liked how you said that it's, it's looking at it, seeing where the client's at, trying to assess that, which again, acknowledging that we're assessing that through our own lenses. And again, as a white provider, I'm assessing that through my own white lenses. Um, and at that point, yeah, trying to meet that client and provide whether it's resources, education, um, and you know, how does that apply to them? How does that apply to their role? And yeah, and as you were saying, I'm, I remember the, the, uh, the, uh, invisible naps, sack from uh from uh uh our grad program as well and we talked a lot about that which um i think it was helpful i mean i think you're right that it's helpful for those clients that we're talking about and and again for a white client maybe struggling with understanding uh their role and what's happening but also as providers i know that was really enlightening for me um you know because as i say that i mean that's again talking about privilege and even as white providers what we're coming into that with um that was something that i had to be Taught, even though I am part of the system that creates that, right? Like that's because um, it was it was really eye opening just to see it from that perspective. And uh, so yeah, so I think that's a really great model. And again, in a lot of different contexts, I would also highly recommend. Um, she has a ton of great work, and and actually just going off of that as a whole, um, you know, I think it really speaks to just the wealth of knowledge that's already out there and it's been out there for a very long time. Um, yes. And this is why this. I mean. Uh, I shouldn't say this goes without saying because I think a lot of white people play into this and a lot of white providers uh, that it is we should not be going to our colleagues of color. We should not be going to our black and brown colleagues and expecting our and you talked about this a little bit too, Emma, already, but we should not be expecting them to teach us. Um, we should be what we should be doing is finding ways to lift their voices and work that's already out there and, and getting that, you know, out to the community and, and sharing that where it needs to be shared. And um, yeah, that's, that's what we should be doing, but we should not be going to our colleagues and our colleagues who are impacted by these systems in these ways uh, because that's, again, that's putting additional burden. And it's like, that's really, and at the end of the day, the problem doesn't lie with them. The problem doesn't lie with our black and brown colleagues. It lies with us. It lies with what we're doing. Um, And, and yeah, so, and that's, I think part of the purpose and goal of our, even podcast today is trying to talk about some of these topics and um, 
yeah, and whether I mean to colleagues in general, but especially to our uh, to our white colleagues who they themselves are struggling with this. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. You had some thoughts, Emma. Uh, yeah, yeah, because specifically, you know, we're talking about bringing this into our sessions, but it also highlights again just how important it is that we as providers are doing the work. Because if we're not doing the work, it is the blind leading the blind. Mm. Yeah. We're not achieving much then. So, like, we can't walk our clients through it and support them and and teach them if we have no idea what we're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we need to be role modeling that, essentially. Um, and to your point of, like, not going to our black and brown colleagues and asking them to educate us, absolutely. But you can purchase the services. Like, you know, yes. I know that common sense. We had, previously, we had had a training with them. Um, through Beyond Living, which was fantastic. I found that to be amazing, and we can include their information below as well. But, um, you know, like, I know I learned some really important things from that training, and I'm not going to share them, of course, but um, absolutely recommend, you know, if you're a part of an agency, particularly, like, Capital District, um, check them out. Buy the services of your black and brown colleagues. If you're looking for their expertise, pay for it. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I think that's, that's a really good way of putting it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that, that all being said, I know, and I know we're noting kind of the time here. I know we're getting short on time. Um, that, yeah, that said, any additional thoughts, Carlos, Emma, that either of you want to share or that we want to touch on? I mean, we're just scratching the surface here. Um, but yeah, any additional things we want to add? Okay. Um, I would just say, like, this work, and we've hit on this a lot, but the work is going to be messy. Um, Just as providers, we need to keep it contained. Mm. Like, our mess doesn't come into session. And that, you know, that is how it generally should be anyways. But um, especially, you know, when we're talking about racism and white supremacy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. so this piece of one, one last thing I want to add to this too is, so as we are moving forward with this podcast and we are going to resume our, our uh, regular schedule, um, this is going to, this is airing or if you're listening to this, um, the earliest you could be listening to it would be Wednesday morning. Um, it's going to be a, uh, a Wednesday morning when this airs, but moving forward, we're going to keep the Sunday morning schedule. Um, that said, as we move forward, we talk about various different topics and things related to mental health and providers and our clients. Um, you know, I'm going to make a more concerted effort to incorporate because this, you know, what we're talking about here impacts everything. So it's, you know, I want to make a more concerted effort to um, talk about racism, talk about how that is playing out within these other areas that we talk about, how that all uh, intersects. Um, and, uh, and that said, though, I think every so often, too, we will be having podcasts that focus specifically on racism and where we are just dedicating time just talking about that in of itself. Um, that said, too, uh, to any providers listening, this goes to all of our colleagues. Um, if you want to be a part of that conversation and you want to be a guest in the show, again, in general, but in, uh, in uh, especially when it comes to these topics, uh, you are welcome to reach out to either Emma or myself uh, uh, or to Carlos. Uh, we'd be happy to consider and, and have you come on um and that again as i say that um i definitely that invitation is there to our to our uh, black and brown colleagues but it is not expected that our black and brown colleagues come on the show and talk about these things um again i think part of what you know you and i are doing emma is as white providers trying to use our privilege and power to tackle this issue and to lift voices um but again that invite goes out to 
again, any, any colleagues, um, any thoughts on that? Anything you, again, add Emma, Carlos? No, disagree. No, I think that's perfect. Okay. All right. Um, all right. So we will um, begin to end. Carlos, you have a list of resources. Oh, I'm not going to provide oh, it. I'm going to link it on our got it. And stuff. Yeah. Makes sense. You can cut that out. Um, <laughs> all right. So we're going to end here. Uh, thank you both. Thank you, Emma. Thank you, Carlos. Um, yeah. Yeah. Definitely for, for having this conversation today. And uh, we will follow up with you on our next episode. Bye.